Hello, everyone. This is Sal from Bitcoin Taxes. Welcome to our podcast. Each episode, we speak to an expert with knowledge related to cryptocurrency and blockchain technology. Today, we have two guests joining us, Alex Kugelman and Chris Vida. Alex is a regular on the show. He's a tax controversy lawyer with expertise in cryptocurrency and IRS audits. He's also the Bitcoin.tax audit defense partner, so he is the guy to go to if you have any crypto audit related concerns. Chris is the managing director at Black Raven Advisory Group, LLC, and a retired assistant special agent in charge in the IRS Criminal Investigation Division. It's his first time on the show, and I'm very much looking forward to learning from his expertise. Guys, thank you both so much for being here today. You're welcome. (laughs) And so, Chris, can you give us a little bit of background about yourself? Yeah, so as you mentioned, right now, I founded a boutique forensic accounting firm specializing in providing assistance to defense attorneys in wide-ranging white-collar crimes uh, that their clients may be accused of in the government to include tax evasion, to include um, money laundering, to include um, other specified unlawful activities such as uh, mail and wire fraud. So really providing some institutional knowledge from my prior position as an ASAC um, and assisting clients, uh, the attorneys and their clients with viable defenses in cases. Prior to this, as you mentioned, I retired from IRS after 32 years uh, in August of 2019. And my last position was assistant special agent in charge of the DC field office. And that's a fancy title for second in command in the DC field office. And the DC field office oversees 11 judicial districts, which is a tremendous number of judicial districts for one field office. And while the ASAC, I was the ASAC of Branch B, and I oversaw a wide variety of cases, including political corruption, including tax evasion, including money laundering, including narcotics investigations, and even cyber investigations as well. And so after I retired, I decided to open a boutique firm, and here I am today talking with you, Sal. It's an honor to have you on here. I think uh, what you just said is a very cool background, and, and I'm really excited to pick your brain and hear from you. And uh, Alex... Likewise, always a pleasure to have you on here. And so for anybody that isn't familiar with you, can you give us a little bit of information about who you are and what you do? Sure. I'm a, you know, basically a tax compliance and controversy attorney in um, San Francisco, California, and uh, work with all types of clients, both business and individuals, um, with any issues that they have with the IRS, or other tax agencies. Um, and that can be either civil, you know, an audit or other items or it could be criminal um, depending on uh, the case. Um, been doing this for a number of years, been doing uh, work with crypto a lot, and I've been fortunate enough to link up with Chris and um, I think successfully kind of work on some civil and criminal matters in the crypto space. And I think Chris is um, an awesome resource to have on this podcast because he can kind of give us the eye inside of kind of what's going on, what's realistic and what, um, you know, what, what's not really realistic for people as they're trying to evaluate their uh, their compliance. Yeah, we've always spoken about the IRS and we've never had somebody that was a part of the IRS. So let's jump right into it. And uh, recently a new like kind memo was released by the IRS discussing how like kind was not applicable to Bitcoin, Litecoin and Ethereum, I believe. Chris, can you talk about that? Kind of explain what it really means? Yeah, so Chief Counsel of IRS just released this memo within the past month or so. And like-kind exchanges in the cryptocurrency arena has been a hotly debated area for a number of years. And 
if you recall, in December of 2017, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act was passed. Mm -hmm. And what's important about that is it made it very clear that after December 31st, 2017, like-kind exchanges as relates to intangible assets, such as cryptocurrency, simply was not allowed. And so a taxpayer who had a crypto like-kind exchange before January 1st, 2018, wrote to IRS seeking advice, seeking guidance from IRS. And that's the scenario that was placed in the memo. Whoever that taxpayer was who asked for this advice, that was the scenario that they presented to chief counsel and in reading the memo, it's a, not standard, but it was a consistent message from IRS. Like-kind exchanges don't apply. And this memo says exactly that. Like-kind exchanges do not apply to the cryptocurrency that you just mentioned, sale, period. They don't apply. Can't do it. And it's important to understand, you know, from where I was at IRS criminal investigation, that was the criminal realm. This is the civil realm. Mm -hmm. Like-kind exchanges is a very technical and civil matter. So it's interesting that they came out with it. Clearly, the guidance is no. And then with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act that was passed in December 2017, can't do a like-kind exchange. Chris, let me ask you this. You mentioned how this was civil mm -hmm. and you worked with the Criminal Investigation Division. Let's say somebody used like-kind a lot and, and on a high amount of crypto taxes um, and avoided taxes for a while, a high amount of taxes, hypothetically. Do you think that this could leak into the criminal aspect of IRS and how they would enforce rulings on somebody? Could it ever go into the criminal world? You said something very important, Sale. Avoid. Avoidance. Mm -hmm. Avoidance is not against the law. Avoidance of taxes is every American's right and duty. There are certain laws that allow us to avoid paying the maximum taxes. For example, mortgage interest deduction. That's allowed by law. That's avoiding your taxes. It's when you evade your taxes mm -hmm. or potentially become a felony under Title 207201. So like-kind exchanges, if someone was claiming a like-kind exchange, fully reported the cryptocurrency transactions and elected a like-kind exchange, the likelihood of it becoming criminal is very, very small. It's a highly technical area. They reported all the transactions and they elected for like-kind exchange. So to answer your question, I don't believe that it would go into the criminal realm. Very interesting. Thank you for that answer. And so Alex, my question to you is the three cryptos that they chose, Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum, why those, any idea why they chose those three? It seems like it was kind of arbitrary. Maybe they were just the main cryptocurrencies. Any, any insight into why they would choose those? And then the second question is, does that then say that other cryptocurrencies were allowed for like-kind exchange prior to January 1st, 2018? Um, sure. Yeah, I mean, I guess my, my instinct is that those are the, probably the largest, or uh, certainly Bitcoin and Ethereum. I don't know if, I don't know if Litecoin is the mm -hmm. third largest or put up there, but obviously these are being reported a lot. Um, it's possible that maybe they had a number of like-kind exchanges reported for these specific pairings. That to me would seem to be kind of the common sense reason for it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, as I read this, you know, I have a couple of thoughts. I mean, to answer your second question, um, it's interesting. I actually got an email from someone who had heard about this memo and they said that basically their interpretation was that it only prevented these, um, these, these like kind pairings and others were totally allowable. 
as I read it, it's kind of the opposite. It, it doesn't specifically preclude like-kind treatment for other cryptocurrencies, but this memo is pretty clear that saying, um, you know, no inferences can really be made regarding other um, other uh, exchanges that were reported for like-kind. Um, so I, I wouldn't use this as a basis to say these pairings do not qualify, but everything else does. I think this is really a roadmap in 99% of um, uh, cryptocurrency exchanges saying that like-kind would not apply for these earlier years. You know, and the, the other thing I'd say here that, uh, you know, two more comments. And I, again, I, I know I want you Chris talking more than me, but two more comments. One is um, you asked Chris about, you know, would people have potential criminal liability if they use like-kind exchange? And I agree with 100% with what Chris just said. However, remember, we've talked about this before. If you just didn't report anything and in your mind, you did a like-kind exchange, you did not report a like-kind transaction. So as long as you reported things on Form 8824, then I agree with Chris. But if you just in your mind thought you did it, then I think there's a different answer, different potential answer to that question. Um, I think the second thing to keep in mind is that this is an opinion memo. This is not law, right? And taxpayers who did timely report on a Form 8824, let's say Bitcoin to Ethereum like-kind exchanges, this shows you clearly what the IRS's position is, but ultimately it will be the courts that decide what qualifies for a like-kind uh, like treatment. And even looking at the analysis, you know, there's kind of some cursory conclusions about whether Bitcoin and Ethereum are fundamentally similar in nature or not, right? And maybe that's right, maybe it's not. But I think ultimately this is just, just the IRS's position on this specific item. And it's nothing, you know, doesn't mean that a taxpayer can't challenge that and look for a court to finally resolve these issues. And that would be the answer with respect to any other like-kind pairing that you're talking about. I think that's a really important distinction that you made about if you actually filed, you know, your deferral report versus you are just in your head thinking that crypto is like kind and therefore you didn't report. I think that's a very important distinction because even today, 2021, there are still crypto traders who don't realize that a coin to coin exchange is a taxable event and in their head, it's not. And so I think that was a really important distinction to say that, you know, you have to have actually done like kind properly and then it's a different story. Yeah, kind of expounding on what Alex said is if you have a taxpayer who failed to report their cryptocurrency transactions and there was a gain and there was a tax due and owing, but again, the taxpayer did not report any of it, mm -hmm. that potentially could go in the criminal realm. Mm. And a, a defense could be, well, I thought like kind of exchange applied to this. Yeah, no. One is you have to report all cryptocurrency transactions because it is a taxable event per Internal Revenue Code Section 61, right? All income is taxable. And then two, you have to elect for the like-kind exchange. If you report it and you elect for the like-kind exchange, that's a civil matter. But if you fail to report it and your defense is, well, I thought it was like-kind exchange, yeah, no. Then you're on the verge of very close to the line of a criminal case. It seems like the IRS is pushing for more authority. That's happening in two ways. And the first way is asking exchanges to provide information about their customers. And so, Chris, I want to go to you and talk a little bit about the summons, the recent summons that have happened with uh, Circle and Poloniex and, and different exchanges um, and what that means for customers. 
as we have seen recently, you know, the, the first John Doe summons to the exchanger was Coinbase, you know, the epic battle between Coinbase and, and IRS. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is there is no IRS regular, regulatory demand for reporting from exchangers. Now, they kind of suggested a 1099K when IRS came out with the, with, with the um, uh, ruling in 2014 saying that, you know, Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies are an asset like stock. And they kind of suggest at the bottom a 1099K. And remember, that was just suggested. It's not a regulatory demand. And so it's surprising to me that today still there is no regulatory demand from IRS to exchangers of cryptocurrency to report these. So, for example, if you have an account at Morgan Stanley, when you buy and sell stocks, Morgan Stanley or whatever brokerage firm you use has to send in a 1099B to the IRS, which shows basis, which shows the gross amount of the sale, commissions, and other information that's necessary to determine capital gain or a loss with the sale of the stock. So it's kind of surprising sale that today we don't see a regulatory demand from IRS. Instead, they're using John Doe summonses. And understand that IRS cannot just issue a John Doe summons willy-nilly. They first have to establish that there's non-compliance within the industry. And we saw that in the first affidavit that was filed with the court with Coinbase, where a revenue agent did an analysis and only showed that a very small number of Bitcoin transactions were being reported. As a result, the court approved, and that was the, that was the first um, open door for IRS to obtain this data. And it's been in vogue as of late, where they're issuing summonses, and I'm guessing, I don't know this for a fact, but I'm guessing to every exchanger in the U.S. looking for data on transactions greater than $10,000, but not just data on the transactions, but most importantly, because remember, that's on the blockchain, it's open source. The mm-hmm. government has access to those transactions. What the government does not have is the identity of the public keys. That's what the government needs. And that's what some of the information that the government is going to be obtaining is the identity to those public keys that are on the blockchain. And with that information, they can identify the taxpayer. They could, and then through the blockchain, they can determine the taxable event, helping them facilitate compliance within the cryptocurrency world. Now, if they didn't have the participation or the, um, you know, if they didn't have the exchanges actually complying, it would take a, a, a lot of work. They could still probably figure this stuff out, but it would take a lot more work, a lot more manpower, probably, right? By doing like blockchain analysis. So with the software that's out there, blockchain analysis is not that tough. In, in fact, IRS criminal investigation, there's a specialized group within IRS criminal investigation called the Cyber Crime Unit. Mm-hmm. They are quite proficient in chain analysis. And the software that they use is extremely powerful. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we just saw a crypto seizure from the Silk Road administrator in November of 2020, a $1 billion seizure, civil seizure, alleging illegal activity and those funds originally came. And the point I'm trying to make is the chain analysis is not that tough. Hmm. But what is tough, and the government doesn't have this information, at least not all of it, is the identity of the public keys that are on the blockchain. Now, they do have some of that through the exchangers, because remember, an exchanger doesn't not only falls under the regulatory umbrella of IRS, but they also fall under the regulatory umbrella of FinCEN. They have to be a registered money service business, MSB. 
And what that means is they have to be in full compliance of Title 31, the Bank Secrecy Act. Part of that compliance is having an effective anti-money laundering program Mm. to know your customer. And to know your customer, they're going to have all the data that they need, name, address, social security number, other identifiers. They're going to verify who you are. Plus, they're going to have your public key. That's what they need. That's what the IRS needs for compliance, to assure compliance within this industry. So these John Doe summonses provide a tremendous amount of value, primarily identifying the holders of those public keys on the blockchain. Alex, how about you? Any uh, more on that? And I think, you know, I've, I've kind of said this generally before. I mean, you know, I would agree with Chris. I think it's, I think a reasonable assumption is that the IRS is, you know, request this information from anyone that they can from it, from any you know, exchange that's in the US. And I know that's probably alarming, but the reality is probably most of these exchanges, they're not gonna put up a, you know, a, a full, uh, you know, the best defense they can, because number one, it's, it's costly. Number two, it's unlikely to prevail. And number three, they're, they're not looking to um, you know, poke the bear, right? You know, I think that's the reality. So, I mean, it's, it's just, there's gonna be a tremendous amount of data out there you know, I don't think like on the civil side and audits anytime soon, you're going to see, you know, blockchain analysis. Um, but I don't think they're going to need that. You know, I think when Chris and I have worked on cases that are more severe, including criminal, you know, it's really like as Chris pointed out, it's connecting the U.S. taxpayer to wallet information and then going from there. And then if it's not on the return or there's nothing on the return, that's not a complex case. Right. They have kind of the smoking gun. So that that's really it's I think that's kind of been, from my perspective, the the first phase of IRS enforcement, especially on the criminal side. So then I, I'm curious, then let me ask you this, uh, Chris, and I'll start with you. Um, DeFi. Right. And so the last podcast we did was about all about DeFi, decentralized exchanges. What what we were just talking about was uh, centralized exchanges. They have a figurehead involved. There's, you know, a CEO or a head of the company that the IRS can talk to. They have a team that the IRS can talk to, et cetera. With decentralized exchanges, it's less clear that there's somebody in charge just by the nature of being decentralized. Does DeFi present a problem for the IRS with people evading uh, paying their taxes? So DeFi is a relatively new animal in this arena. And remember, the white paper for Bitcoin came out in 2009. I believe the first Bitcoin released was 2010. We didn't see the government make any comments or statements or positions until at least 2013. And we saw that from the CFTC. And then we also saw from FinCEN. Then, of course, 2014, we saw it from IRS. So the government is usually two to three to four years behind cutting edge technology like DeFi. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it does cause an issue for the regulator. Because remember what FinCEN's goal is and, and what regulators' goals are. Regulators' goals are not to cause problems for businesses and create barriers. At the end of the day, it's designed to protect the consumer. Right. It's designed, FinCEN, for example, is designed to thwart illicit money coming into the system money laundering. And so DeFi, it's a completely new animal and the regulator is going to have to address it. You know, the question arises with DeFi, who's going to be the regulator? It most likely won't be IRS. It'll be SEC and the CFTC will be the two most likely regulators that will be addressing this. And once it becomes more and more popular, 
you're going to see them come hard on it. You know, we saw with the meme coin yam, you know, it crashed in 35 minutes. It had a market capitalization of 60 million. And within 35 minutes, it went to zero. A lot of people lost a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And when stuff like that happens, it's going to get the attention of the regulator. They're going to come in and then they're going to start enforcing the laws and rules, rules and regulations. I think that just happened uh, recently with a high profile guy, Mark Cuban, uh, right? They call it a rug pull. So he had invested in some sort of, you know, coin and uh, he, I guess he invested a lot of money. And then next thing you know, it, it just crashed. And I think he had tweeted out something about how more regulation needs to happen, uh, you know, and that matters when a high profile guy like that, when it happens to somebody like that and they talk about it, I am sure that gets even more attention from the SEC and, and regulators. Agreed. Alex, any thoughts on DeFi and how it interacts with the IRS and regulation? Well, I mean, I guess a couple of general thoughts. I mean, one is just because it's DeFi doesn't mean that it, there aren't AML KYC requirements, right? And just like in the infancy with exchanges, you saw that people who are operating exchanges that weren't, you know, meeting requirements, you know, the, the uh, federal government came and um, had issues with that. So it doesn't necessarily mean that's not going to become the case down the line for, for some of these, uh, you know, DeFi products. Number two, I mean, I think is it's, I don't know, maybe it's possible, but I don't know how you would just enter into crypto just straight into DeFi and that's it. I mean, I guess if you were buying like local Bitcoins and then, you know, we're using these kind of um, exchanges that don't have any AML KYC and going back to kind of Chris's earlier point, I mean, once there's wallet information connected with a the taxpayer, then you can do, you know, certain, um, trace things back. So I don't think it's, it's just, it's more a matter of time than um, is it kind of inevitable how long it takes. It kind of Chris pointed out the, the, the timing with Bitcoin originally and the IRS's interest. It's slow. The government's slow to deal with it, but they, they will eventually. Um, and I think that probably the, the, the other kind of question that people probably have is if I'm involved in, you know, using DeFi, right, how do I report these things? Because I don't really have a lot of guidance from the IRS, right? And I think there it's just, you know, if you're making a good faith effort to report it um, and being consistent, then I think you've kind of done the best that you can do until the IRS does come out and kind of address things like staking or farming or other kind of, um, you know, DeFi income sources. Yeah, liquidity yeah. swaps and liquidity pools. Yeah. We talked about that uh, in the last episode with Andrew Gordon. And I think those are all really good points because you said there's on-ramps still. So there's still ways that the IRS can find you or whatever regulatory agency needs to, they can still identify you with some work. And as Chris was saying, it's not, uh, it's actually not that hard with blockchain analysis nowadays, the programs that they have, the software that they have, it's not that difficult. That's one point. And then the other point is that if you're making a good faith effort, like you said, with these events that there isn't really much guidance about liquidity swaps and liquidity pools, staking generally can, you know, even though it seems basic, there is some confusion there with how exchanges handle the staking. Yeah. And just to expound on what Alex was saying, you know, it's every American's duty to report all income that is derived in the respective year, whether it has the attention of a regulator or not, it's their duty to report all taxes and simply said, pay their fair share. When everyone pays their fair share it assures that tax rates are low. You know, there are some countries where tax evasion, cheating the government of its monies is a pastime, like apple pie and baseball is here in America. <laughs> because of that, 
the tax rates are extremely high in those countries, 60, 70 percent. That's huh. because there's so much cheating going on. If everyone pays their fair share as required by law, it can assure that tax rates will remain low. Would you say that most of the IRS criminal lawsuits or, or uh, going after people, do you think that that's mostly uh, wealthier people or is it like middle class people? It, can you speak to that? Yeah, of course. You know, sale. it's across the board. You see mom and pops, you've seen unscrupulous return preparers preparing false returns, and that's called aiding and assisting in the preparation of a false return. So you see unscrupulous return preparers, you see mom and pops, you see sole proprietors who are skimming monies from their businesses. You see corporations where the corporations are paying the personal expenses of the shareholder. And by itself, that's not a crime. But the question is, what did the corporation do with those personal expenses? Because if they deduct it as a business expense per Interrevenue Code Section 162, that could be a problem when it's clearly personal. And then two, there's an economic benefit to the shareholder, right? That's income. So that, and then some, we've seen as of late, some extremely wealthy people be prosecuted. The most recent, Robert Smith. And that's kind of an interesting case. Here you have a billionaire who was pursued by IRS criminal investigation. And this is all public information, by the way, in the Northern District of San Francisco, uh, Northern District of California in San Francisco, um, where, and this is unusual in a criminal tax case, IRS CI pursued him hard. And it's fair to say that he evaded hundreds of millions of dollars in taxes. And somehow he got a non-prosecution agreement. And that's an anomaly in the criminal tax realm for someone whose willfulness was very, was not good and evaded hundreds of millions to get that NPA or non-prosecution agreement is a coup for his defense team. It really is. They did a great job securing that. So to answer your question, it's across the board sale. You see from mom and pops to sole proprietors, to corporations, to businessmen, and remember, the thing to remember, too, and also illegal activity. Remember, the code doesn't distinguish between legal and illegal. All income is taxable, whether legal or illegal. Right, so right, people right. who deal in cocaine, they got still have to report it. it. That's right. exactly right. Exactly and I've right. read stories about that and, and, you know, where people are like, listen, I made money from this. I did. I, I gambled and I, I didn't make this legally. Um, I'm never going to report it because I don't want to get in trouble for that. And what I've heard is that people will respond to that saying, listen, the IRS doesn't care. They just want to tax you on it. They just want your money. Uh, worry about the legal ramifications from other authorities, but you have to pay the IRS or they're going to get you on tax evasion. Is that kind of true? It kind of is true. Um, you know, what, what was in vogue for the past 10 years is IRS CI pursued a lot of embezzlement cases. So, and, and I referred to one on my LinkedIn page uh, last week, where you had a clergy member, a trusted clergy member who embezzled 600000 from a parochial school. That embezzled money is taxable income. <laughs> Jeez. That embezzled money has to be reported on the tax return. So IRSCI is not just involved in criminal tax cases, but in that case specifically, they pursued mail wire fraud, right? Because it was a theft of funds. Because remember at the federal statute level, there is no charge for embezzlement. So they charge mail wire fraud. 
Mail wire fraud is a specified unlawful activity as defined by Title 18, 1956. Because it's a specified unlawful activity, the government could pursue money laundering charges as well. And the big hammer sale is not the tax evasion. It's not the mail wire fraud. The big hammer is money laundering. By statute, 20 years in jail. Wow. That's big time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, I want to move on to a little bit of uh, politics real quick. I just want to ask you guys what your thoughts are on this administration in terms of how well they're going to do with crypto, how how much they'll understand it, how much legislation or how much you know crypto investors can expect from this administration. Do you guys have any uh, thoughts on that? Sure. Um, the, the interface I've had with people within the federal government at you know, the policymaking level, they're not, cryptocurrency is not a major issue for them, right? And really, you know, from the tax perspective, they're concerned about collecting the revenue, right? And making sure that that occurs. Mm-hmm. Chris, how about you, any thoughts? Yeah, I do. So since 2010, the IRS has been gutted. And this all started in the Obama administration and not necessarily their fault. But remember, the House and the Senate was controlled by the Republicans. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they curtailed the administration's spending. And they told agencies that you have to cut 25% from your budget. And in essence, remember, the IRS's budget, 94 to 95% is the human factor, which is wages, salaries, benefits, etc. So that leaves only 5%, 6 to 5% for operating. So when they came in and said, you have to eliminate 25%, guess what happened? A great number of people at IRS left, Mm -hmm. a great number of people with institutional knowledge. And it was, and IRS is slowly deteriorating. And I'm not gonna say that they're an ineffective, but they're less effective as a tax agency. And it's important to remember, you always want an efficient and effective, but not too powerful tax agency. Because when you have an effective and efficient tax agency, rates remain low. When you have an ineffective, rates are going to go up. So to answer your question about the Biden administration, there was an interesting article in the Washington Post that was written by the five past IRS commissioners going back to 1986. And by the way, I served under all of them with pleasure. (laughs) That's awesome. And it's interesting is in their article that they wrote together, they say that there's three ways to get the IRS back to an efficient and effective, but not too powerful tax agency. Information, resources, and technology. And part of that information sale is third-party reporting, leveraging information from financial service providers to get basic information about account inflows and outflows of the customers. This is an interesting stat. Research shows that when the IRS has access to third-party reporting, compliant rates top 95%. Without third-party information reporting, compliance rates are below 50%. And remember, when we have compliance, we have lower tax rates. When there's non-compliance, as in some of these countries, we have very high tax rates. And under that umbrella in the world of crypto, for example, would be exchanges, right? That's exactly right. Okay. So my prediction, and again, I don't have any insider information, but my prediction is in the cryptocurrency world, 
we are going to see a regulatory demand from IRS to these exchangers saying, you need to report this on form. And I'll say, and I'm just making this up, form 1099 VC, 1099 virtual currency or 1099 cryptocurrency. Um, there is going to be that demand. That's my prediction in the near future. Um, so Alex, before we go, I just want to throw to you real quick. I want to ask you about some of the cryptocurrency audits you've encountered um, since we last talked to you. If you can give us any more information, we talked about those CP2000s, all the other notices that got sent out. Uh, can you um, touch on that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, what's been uh, been interesting in the last six months or so is that um, what I've seen with respect to the CP2000 notices, which is basically an underreporter notice or a matching notice where there was a 1099K issued by you know, Coinbase or Gemini or some other exchange and the, the IRS computers basically kick out a notice asking for information. Um, in those cases that we've been responding and providing, um, providing data and accounting, um, all of those cases, the IRS has agreed with the accounting and, and not, um, not, you know, not really put in a um, suggesting any sort of adjustment or additional tax, hmm. which to me kind of says that they're looking at the information um, and taking it that's prepared in good faith. So that, 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 that's some good news to report. Um, a little bit of bad news that I've been seeing recently is that um, in California specifically, I've been seeing California audits of 1099Ks. And usually California will piggyback an IRS audit. Um, so I've seen that kind of come up a few times, um, which is kind of unusual. So, I mean, the, the, the states are probably getting realizing that this is potentially a big revenue source as well. Um, but that, that's probably the, the bad news I have to deliver. Um, but then otherwise, I mean, we're seeing kind of a, a general consistent, Chris just pointed out that, you know, the IRS is coming back online. We're seeing a lot of IRS or IRS audits of crypto specifically, um, but also seeing auditors, you know, revenue agents who are, you know, open and willing to work with taxpayers who do provide documentation. So, I'd say overall kind of what kind of what I expected. And I think, you know, kind of goes back to the reasonable and good faith attempt to report your uh, taxable income. And I think if you're if you're in that uh, that uh, kind of group of uh, taxpayers, you're probably going to get a decent uh, outcome. You know, maybe it's kind of uncomfortable dealing with the audit, but that's that's kind of where, where it's at right now. Yeah. And we had said it off recording. I think Chris mentioned it off recording, but with the IRS kind of going back to work and kind of COVID restrictions lifting, um, I think you had mentioned, Chris, that. Uh, enforcement was probably going to be ramping up soon, right? Yeah. So OPM came out and said, yeah, federal employees can return to the workplace. IRS came out with an announcement saying, yep, we're going to be doing that. Employees will be coming back to the office and we will see enforcement, civil and criminal increase very, very soon. And, you know, there's two, uh, there, there's one enforcement action. It's, it's primarily civil in nature, but they're working civil is working with the criminal side of IRS and it's the non-filer program. They have a list of non-filers where there's substantial amounts of income that the government has from third-party reporting in which no tax returns have been filed. So we're gonna see a lot of revenue officers knocking on people's doors asking, how can we didn't file? And in certain instances where the amounts of tax due and owing are egregious and the government thinks there's willfulness, there may be special agents with gold badges knocking on people's doors, attempting to interview them. Mm. Something just be aware of over the next few months, because we are going to see an uptick in civil and criminal enforcement to assure compliance. 
excellent information. I really appreciate both of you guys coming on the show today. Chris, Alex, thank you again so much for being here. Thank you, Sal. It was nice talking with you. Thanks, Sal. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Bitcoin Taxes Podcast. You can find out more information about today's guest by going to talk.bitcoin.tax. If you enjoyed today's episode, we would love it if you could give us a positive review on whichever podcast platform you listen to the episode on. Don't forget, you can go to bitcoin.tax for any of your cryptocurrency tax calculation needs. Have a great day, everybody, and thanks again for listening.